and we are back with the Running Lifestyle Culture podcast. This week, I'm really, really excited to have Dr. Mark Bubbs on the podcast. Mark, how are you? I'm great, man. How are you doing? I appreciate you t- making some time for, for having me on. Yeah, it's been, it's been coming, so I'm looking forward to this one because I think I, am, <clears throat> I learned a lot from you and I'm, I think listeners will learn a lot from you as well. And, um, and also, I think we're going to hopefully uh, crush some myths. But before we do that... Um, Mark, tell us about you. So, um, on the on the podcast, we always get the uh, guests to intro themselves. Yeah, no worries. Listen, I'm, I'm a performance nutritionist uh, from Canada, so based uh, most of the, my life out of Toronto, and now uh, doing double duties in Toronto and over here in London in the UK. And uh, you know, I work in elite professional sport. I work as a performance nutrition lead with Canada Basketball. Uh, do some consulting work as well. So recently with Altus, the track and field group out of the U.S., who support a lot of the uh, elite Olympians in the in sprints and hurdles. And then my background in Canada is also in naturopathic medicine. So in Canada, it's a um, naturopathic medical degree, practicing more like a, a GP would, but using you know uh, nutrition, exercise, lifestyle to help clients who are struggling with prediabetes or weight gain, metabolic syndrome. Uh, hypertension, these types of things. And so it's been a real, uh, you know, it's really interesting to be able to deal with the general population in terms of health all the way up to our, you know, elite athletes and see obviously some of the differences between those groups, but to actually see a lot of the similarities that we can learn one from the other to support health and performance. Nice. And you've got the best selling book. Don't forget the book. <laughs> so yeah, recent author of the peak. Yeah, it's been right. Great, great to see a nice response from practitioners in the field and, and people who are keen. So uh, yeah, peak uh, new science of athletic performance that's revolutionizing sports. Been nice to see you know twelve months in a row. Audible, Amazon bestseller. So glad to, glad to see it's been helpful for folks. There you go. There you go. So um, I actually um, personally. Uh, spoke to Mark about my nutritional uh, requirements and I think the the key thing that I I was kind of shocked at was um, energy availability and I think um, we know uh, there's something called reduce energy deficiency syndrome so this is something that happens within um, numerous sports but endurance sports it's it's quite high it happens quite a lot so um, and this is this this reduced energy deficiency syndrome or REDS. It's 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 a case of you know there's a there's a group of things that happen, but one of the the major things that happens is you have reduced energy availability because your input in terms of uh, nutrition is not as high as your output. So, um, Mark, can you tell us a bit more about how that plays out from your perspective when you do you know um, encounter people like? Me, for instance. <laughs> well, you get it, you get it at all levels. You get the elites, you get the recreationals, and yeah. uh, you know, effectively, if we start the conversation maybe by zooming out to thirty thousand feet and just saying, well, if we can improve the health of the person, whether they're an athlete or not, uh, if we can improve their health, then we can support things like their adaptations to training and recovery, and the and the mere fact that they can actually show up to training every week, right? The yeah. more. If your health suffers, then you're going to miss training sessions. You're going to be more frequently sick with colds and flus. Uh, they're going to last longer than they should. Even if you don't have colds and flus, you'll likely have symptoms, upper respiratory symptoms, like the scratchy throat or the dark circles under the eyes, things like that. And those are 
predictive of poor performance as well. And so we need to have a healthy athlete, healthy person first in order to support demands of training and of course all the other demands of life that you know whether you're trying to run your fastest marathon as a recreational runner or you're trying to you know aim for tokyo 2021 now um you know we need to have that in place and so fundamentally the biggest signal is energy intake and so we sometimes get lost in how much protein or low carb high carb or low fat high fat and Ultimately, we need to be putting enough energy into the system to, again, meet the requirements. And so it is interesting because we, we have, you know, context drives everything in this discussion. And if you have, you know, on one end, if you think of, you know, polar ends here, on, the, on one side of the spectrum, we have the general population who are, unfortunately, you know, two-thirds of whom, whether you're in the U.S., Canada, or the U.K., are, are overweight or obese. And so you have individuals like that who are trying to reclaim their health they're exercising they want to train up for a marathon and if we don't fuel them the right way they can actually go one two three months of training and not lose any weight now that's not low energy availability they obviously have sufficient energy to meet the demands they have too much energy now as you become fitter athlete fitter recreational athlete and into an elite athlete more competitive an elite athlete then all of a sudden we need to make sure again that the total energy going into your into the system into your diet is meeting all the demands of your training and the rest of your life and you know endurance athletes depending on the nature of the training if you're a marathoner you know that's a lot of of training volume that's a lot of days that you're training and if you're also working right uh, if you're working a job even olympic level athletes yeah. you know it's it's have to work as well and there's demands from family and so all of a sudden a heck of a lot of fuel needs to be taken on board to be able to meet those demands. And it's difficult to be cooking six times a day. Uh, it's difficult to, you know, we get stuck into our, you know, work duties our home duties. And so even at the highest level, if we're not putting enough fuel in the tank, then we're going to start to struggle with symptoms like fatigue, symptoms like excessive muscle soreness after training some of the immune symptoms that I just described. So the scratchy throat, the feeling run down, dark circles under the eyes, uh, training sessions feeling more difficult. If we go further down this road, we could start to see things like, you know, lower hemoglobin levels in the blood or changes in hormonal status. And so all of a sudden we get all these little lights in the dashboard of the car, letting us know that this is an athlete that's really starting to push into that quote unquote, bad overreaching, right? They're really pushing it too far yeah. and not supporting that training plan. And this is where we, you know, pause for a minute in, you know, my role as a nutritionist to say, hey, all right, let's get back to the fundamentals here. Are we meeting our energy requirements? Amazing. So let's let's kind of break that down into um, maybe the, the example you gave. So somebody, we know running has been um, taken up, obviously during lockdown, People really started to, you know, to take up running as something as a as an outlet. Running you know, and they, cycling, right? So making yeah. it, both are making a big comeback. Big booms. <laughs> They're already popular, but and and so what happens to that? What 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 advice would you give to that new runner? You know, they they want to lose weight, but they're not sure. I think the biggest thing that I encounter is people don't eat before they run. So you know, uh, you know, do they they want to. They want to, they've just never done it. They, they, they think they're going to be sick or, you know, they, they, they kind of believe that they're going to just eat when they get back and 
they, they think it's fasted cardio and um, what, what kind of simple things would you advise somebody new to running who maybe wants to lose weight? What kind of things would you? Yeah, I think the first place I'd like to start with clients is with, with protein intake um, because protein not only helps on the recovery side of things, uh, it's important for, for overall health because as you increase your protein intake, you increase your intake of micronutrients. So you get more vitamins and minerals on board. You can support immunity. Um, and so protein intake at a dose of about 1.2 grams per kilogram body weight per day. So if you take your body weight, let's say for easy math's sake here, you weigh 100 kilograms times 1.2, that's 120 grams of protein in a day. So you're trying to hit that total amount and you're trying to divide it throughout the day. Now, the nice part with this is that even if we look at longevity, you know, if you're a recreational runner, you're doing this to improve, to lose some weight, improve blood sugar control, metabolic health. You know, as we get older into our 50s and 60s, that's actually a protein dose that some of the best researchers in the world, like Theo Spoglu at Leeds Beckett in the UK or Prof Stu Phillips at McMaster, are trying to propose as should be the new recommended dietary allowance, the RDA for protein, because the benefits for our health and longevity are so pronounced when we do hit those levels. So that's a really nice place to start because then the conversation around, should I run fasted or not fasted? I mean, those are nuances that, again, depending on the context, the person in front of us, you know, it, it can be totally fine to have fasted runs, you know, especially if we're, you know, running slower, let's say if you're newer, you know, we want to keep you, um, and so if you can start with hitting that protein intake and dividing it out through the day and hitting your total, then once you do that, a bit like, you know, in martial arts, when you get your white belt, you can go to your yellow belt and so yeah, on. Yeah. You know, then we can kind of have the next discussion around uh, what we should do next. Because I think, you know, too often we give people too many things to do at once. And then all of a sudden, you know, the messages get scrambled or, or a month or two later, we're not doing yeah. them very effectively. Yeah. And what about the you know i think what about the so with the fasted cardio you say you're yep. saying it's it's a very bespoke bespoke option and, and something that you you choose dependent on the the person in front of you yeah i mean that, that would be a good general way to say it i mean i think the more somebody is the general public trying to lose 20 pounds i would say likely the more they could add more of that type of training more fasted training because it ends up we do have beneficial cellular adaptations at the mitochondrial level, right? And keeping those mitochondria healthy is not just good for your endurance performance because they're making the ATP energy we need, but they're also really crucial for health. And so that can just be, you know, a simple way of, you know, you get up in the morning, you have your coffee or tea and you go out for your run. Um, you know, even somebody who's 10% body fat has 30,000 calories of energy on their body. And so one of the things I tend to see with, again, we always remember our context. We're talking a recreational runner who's new and has yeah. that 20 or 30 pounds to lose. Um, you know, too often we're overfueling a little bit in terms of the snacks and things that need to go in before a run. Now, if it's breakfast or lunch or dinner, that's totally fine. Like you want to have your meals. And if they are before the runs, then that's great. And depending on the intensity of the run, you know, even with beginners, we're going to have more intense runs as, you know, as you well know, and, and that's when those can be more appropriate. But I think as you become more advanced, just the sessions are so much more intense that now we, if we don't get sufficient fuel or carbohydrate, we limit the output in that training session. 
We therefore limit the training adaptation and now we're not getting as fit. Um, so you, again, we sort of have that spectrum from one side to the other. Now, even the elites can benefit from some, some facet training, but it's not, you know, it's, it's not nearly as important because again, those, those intense sessions, depending on the, again, the, the demands of the event that they're training for, but those intense sessions will typically become the ones that are going to be more important. Provide you, yeah. Provide the, the best, well, the most, uh, uh, effective ad- adaptations, I guess. Um, nice. Uh, so in terms of, um, you know, meeting that energy availability, do you have any, um, you've given me, you've given me some tips and some guide of things that I could, um, add into my day. And, um, have you got any kind of key tips that you give to, to, to individuals, um, and to ensure that they do meet that energy availability? Yeah, I think I think this part of the conversation now again probably gets more into our runners who are enthusiastic runners. They're more competitive runners. You know, they're they're looking for performance goals when they enter events, or they they're at a competitive or an elite level. This is where this becomes more of a concern, right? You're fit, you can run fast. Now you're trying to achieve these goals, and all of a sudden, as you're building towards these events, you know, and and of course, body weight matters when it's when we're running or when we're cycling and endurance events because. Obviously, the more weight we're carrying, it's going to cost us more energy to to get through the uh, the event, and so it can be something that sneaks up on people because the things that weigh the most in the body are your muscle, you know, the, the glycogen stores in the muscle and all that water that it carries. Right, you're, you're two thirds water, and so if we're just using the scale, it can lie to us a little bit. Right. If you haven't met, one of the reasons why we like to set that protein intake is if we have sufficient protein, even if we're in a caloric deficit, it will protect muscle mass. So it will protect you from breaking down that precious tissue, which is not just important for performance, but for health. But now if we use the example that we're in here, which is you know a fit client who's training up for something, they're in a little bit of a deficit because training's volume's going up and life's busy. And let's say they don't have their protein requirements met. Now all of a sudden we're breaking down more muscle tissue. And so we're in more of a catabolic state. We're, we're, we're breaking down tissue at a quicker rate than we're building it back up. This is going to lead to more inflammation, more than we'd like. Inflammation is, is a normal process. We need it to adapt. It's, it's the signal that tells the body to adapt. But if we get too much inflammation, too much fire, especially over the course of a long term, then this creates problems. And so this is where for those competitive athletes, we've got to go back and say, okay, what strategies are we using? Because again, for that client who needs to lose 20 or 30 pounds, a quote unquote low carb approach is a sort of a simple strategy that's easy to understand and it can be highly effective for that group. But now if you have somebody who's fitter and they've read a, you know all about low carb diets and they think this is great and now they're trying to achieve a performance outcome, now all of a sudden they might not have that fuel that we talked about that we need to, to, to perform well and on intense training days because you know as you well know as training intensity goes up so too does our reliance on carbohydrate so we need to have enough of that in the tank so where are we going to be getting that from what do the meals look like Um, so are we have you know between rices and pastas those are more dense forms of carbohydrate you've got root vegetables like white potatoes sweet potatoes which are sort of moderate and then we've got our um, you know carrots beets things like that that are you know for the same volume don't contain as much carbohydrate so there is you know, a spectrum that you can go to in terms of how much you want to consume. But, you know, we need to see 
you know, how much is in the diet. And this is where, again, grams per kilogram is what we want to start to think about. So rather than just looking at your calories, if you're using like an app calculator or whatnot, you want to look at how many grams of those individual macros, right? So, you know, are you only consuming two grams per kilogram of carbohydrate as a more, you know, competitive recreational or elite athlete? If you are, that's not a lot of carbohydrate when we look at the research, right? You're really low ending it here. And this is where, again, now the body back to your, you know, the reds discussion, your body doesn't have enough energy to fuel both your exercise and all the internal machinery. And so what it's going to do is it's going to start to shrink the metabolism, right? The resting metabolic rate goes down and, you know, we'll start to see increases in in some of the thyroid markers or decreases in things like T3. And those are markers for sort of, you know, for overtraining, uh, for lack of a better term, right? So those markers of maladaptation. And so, you know, long story short, we need to make sure we're getting enough carbohydrates in, especially because people can lose weight well on a low carb approach in the short term. But again, the more advanced you are, the, the more intensely you run, that's your main fuel. And so if you're not using that, then it's going to be, your body's going to have to break down quite a bit to, to sustain that. And a lot of people after a few months or, you know, through a training block will start to struggle. And I have personally experienced this and went to Mark. So um, it was definitely eye-opening. Um, and that really leads us on to um, kind of working with Mark. And he, he, he basically pushed me onto uh, taking supplements. And, you know, that's now a cornerstone of how I, I, I fuel and ensure that I'm, you know, meeting my micronutrients as well as, um, you know, the protein intake which you are talking about. So, what what's the you know for for people listening who don't take supplements, what's the what's your reasoning? Which I, I know I've, I've heard and I'm I agree with. What's your reasoning of of supplementation around supplementation? Yeah, I mean, this is a question where you know you always want to remember that everything is a tool, right? And there's lots of different tools to to achieve the outcome. We got to pick the best tool for the job, and so. If you're an endurance athlete, you know, red blood cells are important because they're carrying the oxygen that's going to power all these tissues that muscles that are going to keep you moving. And so things like iron, B12, and folate become really important. If we have lower levels of those, the athlete is going to struggle to perform their best and to recover. And so if you see someone who has low iron status, um, you know, the best practice is to increase iron in the diet. And we definitely want to do that. the most iron-rich foods, which is the heme iron found in animal protein, so the darker cuts of meat, et cetera. But that takes some time to move. Not only does it take time if the client consumes enough, but the client needs to get used to eating this new food or a new group of foods, and so that's going to take a while. So you almost want to think of things like a moderate to long-term plan and a, and a short-term plan. And this is where supplementation provides, you know, it ensures that we're meeting the requirements that we need. And it's providing some support, you know, like a spot in the gym yeah. whilst this person is changing behaviors, et cetera. So you know, that's where it can become really handy. Um, you know, if you are a plant-based runner, you know, if you're vegan, levels of B12 and iron will be something that we want to keep an eye on because, again, those are predominantly found in, in the most absorbable forms in animal proteins. And so, again, an easy place where supplementation can be beneficial so that you can meet those requirements because – you know, if you're in, if you have insufficient levels or deficient levels, then we know getting you back up uh, will help in terms of your 
not just your performance, but this is, you know, again, this picture of overall health, because yeah, yeah. I think endurance athletes are so great at, you know, pushing themselves through, right? You have that mental fortitude. And sometimes that, that, that comes back to bite you because now you push through some of these training blocks and the body's actually breaking down too much, but you're, you know, individuals are so good at just getting on with it. Uh, and sometimes we got to just take a step back and say, okay, wait a minute, am I covering all my bases here? Yeah. Do I have enough energy and macros? What about some of these micros? And back to our earlier point, if you get your protein intake, right, guess it's what happens active. to your iron levels? They naturally come up as well, right? So we're, this is some of the reasoning behind how we can stagger things so that we can start to get a short-term effect. And then also we're building ourselves for a long-term approach because ultimately we want to do what people will adhere to, right? What fits their lifestyle. Some people don't mind taking supplements. Some people would prefer food only, and it just depends on on their goals and, and time frame. Yeah, I think the I think the other thing that you you made me aware of was was having that protein. Um, yeah, just boosting your immune system. So obviously, ensuring that taking a protein supplement drink will just give you that protection, um, and you know, protecting that that kind of overall health. Then yeah, I mean, it's the convenience factor too, right? It's, it's, you can almost think of it like portable nutrition. Like for a lot of clients, hey, it would be great if you could eat four home-cooked meals a day. Yeah. But, you know, people, it's, it's a hard to cook four times and clean up four times and prepare four times. And so sometimes this is where just being, uh, you know, making it easy and saying, okay, well, here's a 30 or 40 gram dose, mix yeah. it up. Uh, and, and for lack of a better term, protein is the closest one to just food in a tub, right? I mean, it's, yeah. uh, um, and again, if you're a whey protein consumer, then you get all the benefits of the immunoglobulins, so things that are good for your immune system, as well as you know key antioxidants like glutathione. And again, if you're plant-based, then you can get nice blends that provide you with all the amino acids, so you don't have to always think about combining proteins. You know, you get everything in one in one convenient spot. So that can definitely, you know, if you're pushing the performance side of things, then it's definitely one that can uh, be handy. And if even for the general population, again, it's, it's more convenience than anything else. Yeah, I think it's really useful as well for the general population sometimes if uh, somebody is trying to um, lose weight and they're yeah. conscious of, of, of having certain meals. Um, I always, you know, if I'm working with somebody who's recovering from injury and they are a bit conscious of what they're eating, I might suggest, you know, um, apart from obviously coming to see you, but, you know, having a protein no, no, shake that's to, a great... to, to, to see if they that gives them something because we know that. You know, if you're recovering and you've got an injury, and we're trying to build um, muscle mass, we're trying to you know help you recover, maintain muscle mass, and build muscle mass through your through your you know through your recovery. It's really important that you're having enough fuel to do that. Yeah, and then just as you mentioned, I mean, a couple of things there. If you're injured and you can't run, then all of a sudden, you know, energy expenditure goes down quite a bit, and we need to keep you from snacking too much if you're yeah. used to eating a lot. And so, protein helps with satiety, and then. You know, the other piece around things like even the use of collagen these days is, is effective for the joints, but we also know that if you simply eat enough protein, then you're going to get a lot of, you're going to get the building blocks to build strong connective tissue as well. So, I mean, definitely from a recovery standpoint, yeah. uh, it's, it's a real easy win. Uh, you've actually touched on something I was going to now ask about, which was collagen supplements and, and the, the, the use of collagen in tendon um, conditions. I don't know if you're aware of any um, research or any thoughts around um, yeah collagen in you know a lot of runners suffer with tendinopathies it's about 18% of uh, running injuries yeah. and um, I know there's been some talk on Twitter and social media about um, supplementation of collagen 
in, in, mm -hmm. in these types of conditions. Yeah, so Keith Barr is a prominent researcher out in the West Coast in the U.S. at UC Davis, and a lot of his work done, you know, five, six, seven years ago now around the application of collagen along with some vitamin C used uh, 60 minutes before loading. So this could be sort of a rehab-based loading or strength and conditioning. And, you know, that application helped to increase things like tendon thickness and strength. And so if you're recovering from an injury, then collagen can be a great, a great tool, right? It's a, uh, it's really easily mixable. So you can mix it into coffees, teas, drinks. Um, it also has a, you know, if you do want to, if you're in a, from a recovery standpoint, if you're trying to increase your doses, it also has a lot of glycine, which helps to relax the nervous system. So while it's not a sedative, if you have it at night, it can help with supporting, nice. you know, sleep as well, which is nice. nice. The, the, the one area that's probably being debated now is whether, you know, if I get to a certain amount of protein, does adding collagen on top give me more benefit? And that's, again, where we're a little bit less clear. Yeah. Um, but what I would say for most people, because we're oftentimes not hitting the totals that we want for protein, it can be a pretty handy way to just, you know, dissolve a little bit into your tea or coffee when you're at work or before you go to the gym. And then that way, you know, you're going to be getting that, uh, that dose. There we go. Collagen is something I think, yeah, definitely need to be picking up on. And um, I see a lot of uh, runners who have tendon, tendon, you know, tendon, tendinopathies and tendons, tendon issues over a prolonged period of time. So, um, definitely. Yeah, I think after you get to 40 and over, you know, it's like a little bit of extra insurance. <laughs> it's, it's always nice, right? We want to keep those, uh, connective tissues happy so that we can keep running. Definitely. Mark, tell me now, right. Runners, they seem always self-conscious about how much they're taking in. Right. I think before we started the podcast, you said something really interesting, interesting, if there's any sport where you you have a buffer, it's, it's right. Yeah, so we talk like, about these buffers, right? It's yeah. like uh, how much how much wiggle room do you have in your diet? And I mean, with endurance athletes, the energy expenditure is tremendous, and yeah. so you've got loads of wiggle room. Um, and this is the irony with even low energy availability: is that at that point you're burning so much fuel. I mean, you know, we we just need the total carbohydrate. So if it's coming from a brownie or a piece of cake, it might sound like, you know, oh, that's not clean food, but we, you know, sometimes we just need to hit our totals. And yeah. so we need to get that in. And, and this is where, yeah, there's a lot more room for um, a lot more buffer room. And this is where ironically, when people have their quote unquote cheat days, they're probably actually getting closer to what they should be having, you know, every it's, day, it's but it's probably why they feel so good as well. It's probably because they just actually, I <laughs> can't recommend cake every boxes. day, but yeah, there, there you go. It's, it's, I mean, it is one of those things, right? You're getting a, a caloric, uh, you know, you got to have one of the problems we tend to get into is people periodize their exercise, but their nutrition stays the same, right? The mm -hmm. same calories every day. And, and it's like, well, wait a minute, if you're doing a lot more volume or, or training in this week or this block, then surely we need to change our, our fueling strategy. And I think that's one where, um, and it can be done simply. It doesn't need to be overcomplicated, but I think that's one where people miss out on. And that's where you get into that topic that we were just been discussing there around low energy availability yeah. or struggling to recover. And now you feel run down and tired. Um, and you're just, you know, just not enough fuel. I think that's one of the most important things because I, I do experience a lot of people, you know, that the workout was too hard. And then you ask, what did you eat before? And you listen to what they, they've, they've eaten. It's like, you haven't, you haven't eaten anything. And the night before they've probably been at work really late and not, not eaten anything the night before. So yeah, 
I, I just wanted to get that across today in this in this podcast that you know it's it's you it's so important to feel if you don't feel um, all the effort that you're putting in during these training sessions during your training blocks um, can really you know be blunted so. Um, Especially when you work, I mean, you work with a lot of elite runners, and like the more elite you are, the more competitive you are. You, you know, getting your meal frequency up, eating more small meals throughout the day is helpful because it's just you're more likely to hit your targets if you're eating more often, right? Yeah. And if we talk about this kind of polarity, our general population, we're telling them the opposite, right? We want them to eat less frequently because we're trying to get them to lose weight. We want to reduce caloric intake, and so that can be kind of a nice, simple rule of like if you're trying to lose twenty or thirty pounds. Let's do our best to stick to three square meals most of the time with very few snacks. If you're elite, we need our three square meals, but we need two or three snacks, you know, mini meals in the day as well. And if you're someone who's elite and you're only eating three times a day, the chances of you hitting your protein requirements, your energy requirements, your carbohydrate requirements are pretty slim. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, again, easy one to kind of say, okay, you just look at your meals that day and you say, well, I only ate three times, you know, this week. Well, if you feel tired, run down yeah. and scratchy throat, then we got to do something about that. Definitely. Um, thank you so much. It's been good to have you on. Um, did you have any last piece of advice? Any any things that you think runners out there do uh, don't do enough of? Anything that you would really encourage? You know, I think just uh, recovery is such a big part of the story. Again, uh, the more we get into this kind of competitive and, and elite, and so. You know, nutrition is a big pillar of that. Sleep is another big pillar and, and mental emotional stress, right? And so those three things, when you look at, you know, elite professional team sports or Olympic sports, these are the the big buckets that they're looking at before we get even get into like a good training plan uh, when we talk about recovery. So, you know, no doubt the modalities like uh, the massage and the hot and cold tubs and things have their place, but those are at the tip of the pyramid. You know, you really want to make sure that that base of the pyramid, your nutrition, your sleep, that mental, emotional stress piece, however you might want to address that, like those are the really big rocks. And so if you're struggling, make sure that you start with those first and then work your way up. And, and most people are, are pretty surprised at how, how it can shift, how they feel and how they recover and how they perform by, you know, addressing things that they maybe thought were, were all, you know, squared away and then there was no problems there. Yeah. I'm a big advocate of um, group training. I think that, that kind of mental, emotional uh, piece can be really enhanced with group training. You get the camaraderie, you get the, you know, the element of um, sharing your 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 runner's woes. You know, I th I think that's a great aspect. Yeah, for endurance sport, it's just the camaraderie, right? You yeah. get to train as a group, and uh, you know that part of it is just really, really uh, fantastic. So definitely nice. Um, okay, so on this podcast to wrap it up. We always get somebody to give us their track of the podcast. So we play 10 seconds of that track. You choose the track. What track will it be? I get to pick any track? Any track. Uh, let's, Someone chose because, we, welcome because we've been talking about uh, low energy availability <laughs> and, and not and not recovering well, uh, we'll do Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. Perfect. <laughs> So we're going to play 10 seconds of Ring of Fire to end the podcast. Mark, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for coming on. Um, if people want to get hold of you, what are, how can they do it? How, how do they get about it? Yeah, uh, i got a funny last name. So at Dr. Bubs on Twitter, Instagram, and the website's drbubs.com. So check all that out. Uh, if you're into the 
performance side of things and athleteevolution.org is where we do all the performance nutrition education. So you can check that out as well. Perfect. Thanks very much. Thanks for jumping on. Awesome, man. Appreciate it. Mark Bubbs requested Ring of Fire by Johnny Cash. So here we are. That was Mark Bubbs. That was a topic that is genuinely important to me. And I think it should be important to all runners and athletes who are in endurance sports. And that's a wrap. This has been the Running Lifestyle Culture podcast. That was Mark Bubbs. Pleasure to have him on. The guy has a wealth of knowledge. He also has a podcast. So if you want to know more, go have a listen. Please go subscribe, go like, go share, go give me some ratings on Spotify or iTunes to keep me going, keep spreading the word. This has been the Running Lifestyle Culture Podcast. Coach Manny, out. Peace. Mm -hmm.